A lot is made out of the uh, impermanence, anicca, the Buddha's teaching. It's something that's very obvious in many ways. People, things change, people come and go. Sun comes up, sun goes down. <laughs> so what's the big deal? But uh, the Buddha's final words were, all, all sankharas are impermanent, or changeable, or inconstant, or insubstantial, or subject to change. And his final words to his dying breath, all sankharas impermanent. <coughs> Make an effort with diligence. Yeah, so you think. Like, uh, what for? It didn't say what for, it just said these things are inconstant. You know, with diligence, you should keep practicing. So, you know, what's the payoff? <laughs> didn't bother with that. You know, it's very, very, very concise. But this is the, so the summary of his teaching, 45 years of teaching. I guess he felt if he hadn't got the basic stuff by then it was a bit late anyway <laughs> but really I think the important thing to you know get get the whole feeling for is what Sankara you know, almost uh, untra- you know translations always fall short it's the things that hold our world together <clears throat> things that create these energies these are uh, that, that kind of bind everything together. That, uh, what brings something up in our mind is a sankara. It's got, got a push to it. What holds it in our mind is a sankara. Um, what we do about that is a sankara. Mm-hmm. You recognise that, you know, when you look at all that. You know, if that is really just. Insubstantial. The world doesn't arise. Self doesn't arise. The reflexes don't kick in. We don't get blown away. We don't get locked. We don't get frantic. We stop suffering, essentially. Which is all the Buddha taught. So some of our training is on ethics, isn't it? Certain sankharas volitional qualities we, we check, we hold back, we put aside, turn away from, certain ones we bring up. You know, kindness, compassion, sharing, renunciation, you develop those, some you put aside, harshness, impulsiveness, greediness and so forth. Mm-hmm. Ethical training, there's also there's, um, training in terms of actually lessening the amount of stuff we're activating, you know, renunciation, simplifying our lives. Calming means actually slowing it down, selecting what you bring into mind. So what you bring into mind, the activity of bringing something to mind, that's that's our, each our individual responsibility. 
there's zillions of things. Not that there aren't. What we bring into mind may be a, resp- uh, a reflex that we haven't been able to handle or come to terms with yet. Passions, desires, hatred, fear, worry, you know, hindrances. We just catch. But that's our, you say, that's our, one of our main practices is trying to be more conscious of that and see how can, uh, you know, this is going to cause me suffering, cause other people suffering. How can I actually defuse that? That, that you know, and of course, hopefully you, we are finding ways, we're looking at ways, we're play, practicing ways to do that, the hindrances, you might say. And then what are the hindrances based upon? something to get there is something gettable there is something and irritating me you know that kind of thing the substantiality of people places tactile objects sense objects psychological objects and the funny thing is that when it comes down to it the most substantial you know in a way the most insubstantial you know, it's not bricks that bother me. It's the concern about what might happen to me in June. <laughs> you know, like, where's that? And yet, you know, it's the worry about what somebody else might be thinking about me now. You know, what's that? It's complete. And yet, the because this is really, uh, our, our, you know, my karma, my my habits, and these are much more ingrained than the bricks and trees and stuff out there. You know, so it's this sense in which, <coughs> you know, creating my world is uh, as as a sankara. It's doing that, and it's creating it according to particular, say, karma or inherited or, or established patterns. Mm. Do we, you know, like fundamental things, do we see the world as a place of difficulty and sorrow and probably another problem happening next week and struggle to get by? Or do we see it as a place of wonderful opportunities? How can I, you know, really make advantage of it? There's so many wonderful things to do. Mm-hmm. You know, things like that. Do we see other people as as uh, things that make us feel nervous, anxious, or, you know, he would play with, you know, kind of things like this. That that you see the, the, these karmic traits or old habitual traits. Yeah. So you know, and it's not as if I don't think any of us just have one set going. You know, I can a number of different people sometimes I you know I start something immediately with the feeling it's not going to work mm. and yet also there's a great eagerness to, to get things going and yet there's this another one that comes and says yeah but it won't work <laughs> you know there's something strange tendency to, to imagine 
failure, disaster problems, you know, kind of a fear-worry trend. And there's also a kind of, you know, creative, interested trend. These different karmic tendencies, and they create different worlds, and some of those extremely confusing to find you started out in one world, you end up in another one. <laughs> Both of which seemed completely real at the time. You know, you start off with a sense of, oh, I really want to do this, and then halfway through, it suddenly changes into an ob- a burden. You know, how did that happen? Hmm? These are, the Buddha said actually it's too complicated to try and figure all this stuff out. But if you keep your eye on the ball, whatever the one is that's arising now, that's the one that you need to penetrate. See, it's, 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 it's impermanent the way that magnetism is. You know, it's continually flowing and changing. It has certain strong tendencies in it. And you can switch the current off. The world is other people. The world is the future. There's different ways of the world. There's the past, the future, myself and other people. You know, four, four quadrants, you might say, of the world. And uh, some of them press upon us. We feel the pressure of those. Or we, we push against them. We fight them or we grab hold of them. Myself. Other people, future, past, pushing it away, fond of it, fondling it, excited about it, despairing of it, feeling overwhelmed by it, pressed by it, myself, other people, past, the future. These are some kind of, you might say, just some pieces on the map and And uh, it's not you know, the, the, these things exist as well. <laughs> you know, it's not there's no such thing as Friday or tomorrow. These things do have a, a reality, and yet, if you notice, they never quite the way you figured them to be. You know, you try and get three people to agree about what happened yesterday. Yeah. or even what the last Dhamma talk was about, let alone 20 years ago. And yet those can be, those things, history can be an incredible sort of um, benchmark of what I am. So what's happening is that some kind of current is picking up something right now that connects to something that could have, you know, some memory, and it solidifies it. And the same thing, past is perhaps one issue with the future. Mm. Which can feel beckoning with delight, possibilities, or a cloud of gloom, or who knows, you know. And of course... You know, yeah, it happens, doesn't it? Terrible things happen. 
terrible things will happen to us. We will all experience pain, sickness, death. So, yeah, there is a future and it's not so rosy. The point, you know, same for the Buddha, but the point of liberation is how does this not happen here to me or in my mind? Is there a place where the future, the past, myself and others don't happen? This is the this is the way out of samsara. Not that the one level there is no such thing, but there's also a place where samsara doesn't have to happen. What brings it into our mind? What holds it there? What? Uh, colors it could that current be acknowledged could it be handled could it be met so eventually it sort of ceases the Buddha said this was possible This is what we meditate for, concentration, insight, the calming, the steadying, the concentration is to try to take us under the froth, not to smith, but actually to where the froth is coming from, where the turbulence is coming from. There's a certain steadying to penetrate to that, the anxiety, the wishing, the wanting, the resisting, feeling the energy of that. So we start to kind of um, experience the formative patterns, sankharas, as as they are. For me, a lot of the practice is actually trying to f- know that. You really f- feel it right now. Translating my day into that. Not just conceptually, but actually feeling the pressure of things I have to do. The concern about other people. The, uh, these things. Trying not to re-establish the future dependent on the past, my memories of the past, anyway. Trying to give myself a choice to be free. A lot of this, to me, is just really this kind of sensing what's going on in the duties, the routines the images of people and things, the push, the pressures, the vacuous spaces of unknowing and uncertainty. What's happening? Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, and of course the least 
items, the better, but that isn't always going to be the case. If I can translate that into just this energies in the present moment, bearing some of my thumbprints, worry, uncertainty, craving, craving for solidity, craving for definition, craving for peace, craving for everything to be okay, meeting it. To me this is uh, insight, doesn't mean getting upset about it, pushing away, denying it, but actually just standing beside that, I use that kind of phrase, being in the presence of, but not going into it. This is the Buddha meeting Mara. trying to find somewhere where Mara wasn't happening getting upset about Mara just meeting Mara and that sense there's nothing for you here I know you there's nothing for you here I'm not going to feed you anymore And just to know, knowing is such a kind of worn out, rather pale word, but just to comprehend, to be with, to have the, you know, what the mind becomes or how it changes when you actually handle some of these energies, is it no longer, you know, there's something that's not going down these channels, there's a sense of space. Yeah. So sankaras are always very definite. They're like they're like lightning bolts. They're like streams. They're like railway lines. They're definite channels. You get on one, it whoosh, whisks you away. It's a definite track. Definite track to it. Very clear. Very fast. Very known. But around, once you actually acknowledge it as a kind of an energy, then the knowing of that as a certain space, present, it's quite still, peaceful. It's not another sankara, it's not another track going anywhere somewhere, it's just the kind of openness around it. Seems ineffectual, sometimes seem quite minimal. This is when we are you know, breathing, whatever you do to open into that, to widen your sense of that, to fully resource yourself in that, feeling it in your body, 
feeling the space around you, feeling it in your heart. This is where we sit or stand or walk. You just bring the two together without trying to fix it, change anything. See what happens. If we really, you know, trust the Buddha's teaching, then we at least say, give this a try. The Buddha said, do this, he said, not just for seven years, just seven days. If you do that for seven days, you'll get powerful results. You get a real feeling of confidence. Of course, a lot of the time, you know, Sankara's come up as a contraction around it. Get in, down the track again. Boom, run away, it's too fast, it's too compulsive. So we, you know, trying to meet one's edges, maybe it's a thing like the person sitting next to you. Maybe it's the what happened, when you're washing up. Maybe it's that. Maybe it's routines. Maybe it's me. Nuns, monks. You know, Mara, wonderful um, creator, deity of creation. If you translate these forms into heart realities and we really trust in the Buddha's teaching and give it a try. Just try it. Keep trying it. Can these dissolve? Do we want them to dissolve? Or do we want to make them more solid? Do you want to have positions? You're solid. And this is suffering. It's always been that way. Globally, socially, personally, it's always been that way. The next one will also be that way. And it will look like it won't, look like this is it. So it's really this kind of whole, you know, when you look at it very, really deeply, it's the creation of anything solid. It's to be treated with some, hmm, let's see, where's that coming from? Not that there aren't things, but this is, this creative act is what draws it in and uh, you know hurts the Buddha said you know uh, powerful, very powerful phrase in Dhammapada uh, those who practice we are happy living amongst those who hate us that's, you know, wow. 
There's, you know, so even that very, very stark statement like that, we can live in joy even amongst those who are troubled, confused and malicious, as indeed he did. So he said, you know, to have it that, you know, there's nothing wrong going on, there's nothing bad, there's nothing annoying, there's nothing exciting, something desirable. This is not possible. But that one will not be involved with it, one will not be wound up by it, one's sankaras won't get going on it, this is possible. And this is the end of dukkha. So there's that responsibility. And of course, on a, say on a conventional level, we might say that when there's an inner freedom, then there's a greater potential for outer freedom, you might say. Less pressured, cooler, we've got our resources, we don't get flustered, we don't give up. Because essentially we have a place already. So he said, you know, this is worth stream entry, you know, this is worth like shifting a mountain of muck or weight off your back. Just to see its uh, impermanence. So we meet our edge, you know, what it takes to meet your edge, to meet your hard place, to meet your rocks, to meet the place that pushes and pressurizes. Concentration, mindfulness, building up the resource of the meditative mind. And so we're not pulling in, falling into, rushing away, trying to solve something, bearing bearing presence. And it uh, seems to me that over time, you know, sometimes an hour, two hours, morning, afternoon, whatever it is, it gradually it, it dissolves, like the Sankara, which is so, you know, tightly formed it's almost like you put it in water it starts to dissolve intensity starts to dissolve it doesn't I don't find these things just bonk break up in a second but there is a dissolution of these some some do some immediate topics do but deep patterns hmm. Take some deep soaking. You know, so it's both effort and non-effort. The effort to sustain the faith, to sustain the wisdom, to sustain application. The faith that this is what we can do now. This is the point. And whenever one's dealing with you in a kind of silly seemingly silly or petty or trivial or thing you know you should have let go years ago but it still haven't actually nothing is that trivial you know it may have a trivial head to it but underneath that you'll find the same thing the urge to be something the urge to have something the urge to be solid the urge for a future 
the urge for a person. These are not small matters. This is what the Buddha, his final breath, is. He didn't even talk about nibbana, unconditioned joy, happiness, but look, you know, this is the point. You do this, everything else will fall into place. You'll get the rest of it. This will always keep you on track. Every day, every moment, a new edge is forming, maybe. A new place of practice is forming. Mm. Doubts. Possibilities of what could be. Positive, negative. The way the mind agitates around that. Sankara. So in this, uh, you know, today, in this retreat, we have this time and really, you know, to make full use of that. Practice diligence with wakefulness, with clarity, with being on the ball with it all. <laughs> 